Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you all in the house of the Lord. A big welcome to our Frontline family, to our guests here this morning, as well as those joining us online. It's my privilege to preach God's Word again to you all, and it is my prayer that today's message will impact you as the Holy Spirit takes the Scripture and applies it to our lives and brings the necessary change that only He can. Amen? And church, today we continue with our series, Preaching the Kingdom. And the title for today's message is Marriage and Divorce. Just to remind you on what we've been speaking about, our kingdom, our series, Preaching the Kingdom, is based on our study on the Sermon on the Mount, preached by Jesus himself in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And it is intended for serious followers of Jesus. It's not for the reluctant. It's not for the the half-hearted or even the faint-hearted follower, because what Jesus has to say in the Sermon on the Mount will either challenge you to grow in your faith or it will offend you about the faith. There's no middle ground with Jesus. Either you are with Him or you are against Him. And those aren't my words, by the way, because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, He who is not with me is against me, And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And so church, when we read portions of scripture like we're going to read today, you may not like it. right? You may not agree with it, but you cannot say, I'm not going to obey this part of God's word, but I'm still a devoted follower of Jesus. You can't have it both ways. Like I said earlier in our series, when we were speaking about the Beatitudes, A couple of weeks back, when it comes to our submission to Christ-like behavior and developing these Christ-like characteristics, it's it's not eeny, meeny, miny, moe, right? It's not like you're reading an a la carte menu at your your favorite restaurant and you're like, I want this one, I like that one, but I don't like all these other ones. No, it's a package deal, right? It's a package deal, and it's the same with whatever else we are commanded to do in in the Word of God. And as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, there are some things that are are easier to swallow than other things. Because some things are more comfortable or or palatable, and some things are not so comfortable, and may even leave a bit of an uncomfortable taste in your mouth. There are some things, church, that are relatively easy truths to apply to our lives, and then there's some relatively hard truths, but it's not like an a la carte menu where you get to pick and choose what you want from the Sermon on the Mount or the words of Jesus. And so we have to decide if we really want to be devoted followers of Jesus, we are going to take the easiest stuff with the hardest stuff, and we are going to be purposeful to do all that it says. Right, And it's not about being perfect, it's about being purposeful in walking in the right direction. And church, quite honestly, we come to a hard part here in the Sermon on the Mount. Because it's the topic of marriage and divorce. And I say it's a hard part of the sermon because the bar that Jesus sets concerning this topic is much higher than what our culture has set. The bar that our culture has set for this is basically one of, if you have any reconcilable differences with your partner, your spouse, you can get a divorce. 
right? It's not about working through things or taking accountability for your own actions or, you know, allowing time to grow together. Rather, it's a case of if I don't agree with you or like the way you do things, that's a good reason for, for me to divorce you. And you know what? Let's just be real with each other here for a moment. If you are a married person, you know that marriage is about irreconcilable differences. Often we marry our opposites, and there's, there's a reason for that. Because if you were both the same, one of you wouldn't be necessary. Right? Our differences complement each other, right? Your strengths might be your spouse's weaknesses, and your spouse's strengths are more than likely your weaknesses. But together, that union forms a more complementary relationship than just being by yourself. But by definition, marriage has some irreconcilable differences. Culture would disagree with that thinking and say that marriage is just a a legal contract, and when there is irreconcilable differences, there is an escape clause. And church, before we get into the, the detail of this message today, I just want to acknowledge that what we're going to talk about today may very well be a, a sensitive topic for, for people who have, have been through a divorce. Because some people's lives have been profoundly affected by a bad marriage and then a bad divorce. And when you talk about the pain that some people have lived with because of a broken marriage, you realize that during a message like this, you're going to be pressing on some very sensitive and tender spots in people's hearts. So it is my prayer that as we look at this topic today, that the Lord would give me the grace to deliver it correctly and that the Holy Spirit will help us all to hear about the importance that Jesus teaches here in the Sermon on the Mount about this topic of marriage and divorce. Is that okay? And by the way, church, this message is not only relevant to married couples. It is relevant to everyone who was, who is, and who will be married one day. And that just includes just about everyone here, right? So let's have a look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 from verse 31 to 32. He says, furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, remember, Jesus was addressing the fact that he did not come to abolish the Old Testament law and what the prophets had said, but rather he came to fulfill it. And then he begins to show how it was wrongly understood and and taught by the teachers of his day and what the right teaching is from the Son of God himself. And he uses that same statement over and over again, where he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, but I say to you, but I say to you. And then he proceeds to explain the correct way of teaching and applying these laws to our lives. And he does the very same thing here in this passage that we've just read. Because immediately he addresses the way that the teachers and authorities of his day dealt with the issue of of divorce. 
And just to give you a bit of background and, and history on this, among the Jews of Jesus' day, marriage was considered to be a sacred duty. Because if you were an unmarried man and you reached the age of 20 years old, people would think that if you are un unmarried, that you are living in sin. They took God's command in Genesis chapter 1 where He said, Be fruitful and multiply. They regarded that as an absolute command that men needed to find a woman to marry and to have children. And according to some biblical scholars, in the ancient Greek, or excuse me, not the Greek, but the ancient Hebrew language, there was no word for the word bachelor. Because nobody was supposed to be a bachelor. And look, there are definitely some good principles that you can draw from that type of thinking because it would promote a lifestyle of purity. But even though the Jews of that day had a high view of marriage, they also had what we would consider today a low view of woman. According to the scholar F.F. F. Bruce, he said that the Jews had a low view of woman because a wife was bought regarded as property, used as a household servant, and dismissed at pleasure. And this low view of woman meant that their high view of marriage was constantly compromised, and those compromises were usually made to favor the position and power of men in the marriage and in society. In other words, men were in the position where they could do whatever they wanted to marry, to in the marriage, and the woman had to submit to that no matter what the man said or how he treated her. And they used that thinking to shape their interpretation of the Old Testament law regarding divorce and regarding marriage. And this is exactly what Jesus is speaking to here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. Look at it again. He says, Furthermore, it has been said. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And church, when Jesus says that phrase, he's quoting directly from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Look at what it says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out the house. Now, I want you to notice something here. If you look at that verse, the whole issue centers around one word, and it's the word uncleanness. In the law of Moses, a man was given the permission to divorce his wife if he found some uncleanness in her. But you could ask the question, what does uncleanness mean in the context of marriage? Well, church, there were two ways of looking at it. There were two schools of thought at the time. According to ancient Hebrew writings, one of the ancient rabbis named Shammai said that uncleanness in Deuteronomy 24.1 meant sexual immorality. And that was the only valid reason for divorce under the law of Moses. There was another way of thinking, however, because one of the other prominent rabbis at the, at the time named Hillel said that uncleanness meant anything that displeased the husband. 
And according to that thinking, there were many valid reasons why a husband might divorce his wife. For example, and this is actually quoted from these writings of these ancient Hebrews, these ancient rabbis. You ready for this? They said it was valid for a husband to divorce his wife if she cooked a bad dinner. So if your wife burnt your dinner, you could have given her a certificate of divorce. All I can say, guys, is say nothing. Say nothing. (laughs) It was valid for a husband to divorce his wife if she spoke to another man in the street or if she spoke disrespectfully of his parents in his presence. It was valid for a husband to divorce his wife if she spoke in an argumentative way and raised her voice in a way that the neighbors could hear her. And probably worst of all, a husband could divorce his wife if he found someone more else more attractive and who pleased him better. So in that day and age, the two schools of thought on uncleanness were on the basis of sexual immorality, firstly, and secondly, the other school of thinking was on the basis of anything that the husband disliked about the wife. And under that second thinking, they, you can, they said that it was a religious duty to divorce a bad wife. And you can just imagine how much that victimized woman and made for so much brokenness and destruction in the family. So with all of that in mind, let's take a look at what Jesus says about this topic. He says in verse 32, But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, hey, this business about you divorcing your wife for any reason, just because she displeases you, he says no. That's not what God ever intended by the law in Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 1. And he clears it up by saying that uncleanness should be understood as sexual immorality. It's not for a bad dinner. It's not for an argument. It's not because you've now found favor with a a more attractive woman. It's for when the marital promises are so broken by infidelity and sexual immorality that it was believed that the marriage could not continue. And church, just to make a few observations based on what we've heard already, number one, and this is important, number one, Jesus believed in marriage. He thought that marriage was a good thing, and he believed that marriages should stay together. And look, I don't think anybody goes into a marriage with this idea of, you know what, This will only last for two or three years and then we'll separate and get a divorce. Because if you're thinking like that, you're probably not going to get married in the first place. But what's far more common and increasingly so today is that people don't get married at all. They They just live together. And church, this may be an obvious point to make for some of you, but Jesus believed in marriage, and he thought that if a man and woman are going to live together, they should live together as husband and wife, and they should get married under the laws of God. Jesus believed in marriage. 
And here in the Sermon on the Mount is one of several places in Scripture where he affirms that belief. And look, I don't pretend to know all your personal individual situations or, or complications. So please don't take this as condemning or anything like that. But let me just say this, and, and let me say it in love. If you are living together and you're not married, you need to make that right before God. And it's not, church, it's not like we have some, some sin scanner at the door that closes the door on you. Or the floor opens up and, and swallows you if you are, are living in that sin. And we can all be thankful for that, right? Because the church would be an empty place this morning. Right? But the reason I mention this church is, is because firstly, it is important, if it is important to Jesus, it should be important to us. And secondly, if, it's, if you're not obeying God on this issue, you are missing out on God's best for your life. Start in the right way. Put first things first. Come into obedience to Him, and you will see God's blessing on your relationship. Right? You see, when God gives a command, it is backed up with a blessing. And I just want to say to, to you, if that is you, I don't know if there is anyone like that, if you need guidance or direction on, on this issue, as a church, we are here for you. Make an appointment with one of our pastoral staff and come and see us at the church offices. It is that important. So that's number one. Jesus believed in marriage. Number two, I want to point out and say that Jesus did not believe in what society calls an open marriage. Which is a marriage where there is a husband and a wife, but there's no expectation of sexual faithfulness in the marriage. They're both free to be with whoever they want at any stage. Right? Jesus didn't believe in that. Jesus said sexual immorality that injures a marital relationship is grounds for divorce. So church, it is biblically true that a husband and a wife have the right to expect sexual faithfulness on the part of their spouse. That is not an unreasonable or an oppressive expectation. And even though Will Smith and, and Jada Pinkett Smith are now celebrating and promoting their, their newfound open marriage because they say it brings liberty and, and freedom and healing into the marriage, that type of sexual immorality should appall us. And church, we've been speaking a lot about winning the battle against temptation, against um, temptations like sexual immorality in our series over the past couple of weeks. And remember, as we focus on our relationship with the Lord, as we set our mind on things above, He will provide an escape when those temptations come. Right? This is the power and the liberty that Jesus offers to those who will submit to Him and, and trust Him. Now, church, with those observations out the way, I wanted to focus a little bit deeper on what Jesus says in verse 32. He says, But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And just to be clear this morning, what is sexual immorality? 
if Jesus says it's a no-no, what does it really mean? The two words sexual immorality is the, is the single Greek word pornea, and you would be right in making the assumption that it is associated with the word pornography. Pornea is a word in the New Testament that speaks of sexual sin in a, a broad sense. And in this context, it is speaking to any sexual activity or behavior outside of the bond of marriage that defiles the marriage. And that's not just limited to, to sexual intercourse. Pornea includes activity beyond the basic act of sexual intercourse. It's a broad word, not a narrow word. For example, if someone is addicted and enslaved to pornography and then expects their spouse to perform a perverse sexual acts because of that addiction, right? Sometimes they even encourage their partners to get involved with other people. Both the pornography and the perverse sexual act is pornea. Church, this is really an important issue to Jesus. And that's why you find a number of references to the statement that he makes about sexual immorality at different places throughout the Gospels. You'll find this, for instance, in even greater detail in Mark chapter 10 and in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus says divorce is permittable on the basis of sexual immorality. But church, what I want to make mention of here is that even though Jesus gives permission on the basis of sexual immorality, he does not make it a command. And I, I say this not to be insensitive in any way. I say this because there are many marriages that have endured adultery or sexual immorality in the marriage, but they've stayed committed to each other and they've worked through it. And sometimes these marriages have come out of their crisis stronger than ever before. And look, that's not always the case because sometimes the wreckage is too great and the pain is too severe. But God is able to restore even what seems impossible to us. Ultimately, the, the, the decision has to come between the affected person and the Holy Spirit. And I need to add one more thing here. In addition to the permission of sexual immorality, the New Testament also adds the case of abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. Paul spoke about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. When an unbelieving spouse abandoned a believer, Paul said, If the believer departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. So yes, there are two permissions of forgetting a divorce, but please remember that it is not a command. And church, as we've outlined the reasons for a divorce, I now want to, to show you what is not given as a reason for divorce. And that is falling out of love with each other. We just don't love each other anymore. And look, this is a, a hard thing to, to say because, first of all, a lot of people have got divorced for, for that very issue. And secondly, that's hard to say because to feel trapped in a, a loveless, hopeless, and helpless relationship or marriage is a horrible and painful thing to experience. 
And so I don't want to make light of it in any way, church. But again, there are marriages where the love had been lost, but under the power and work of Jesus, that love had been, has been renewed. It has been restored. And look, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I were to ask the people among us here this morning that are married, how many of you have experienced times in your marriage where you thought it was over? And you even contemplated getting a divorce, right? Because it seemed like the love in your relationship had, had just vanished. You thought, listen, this is it. It'll never go back to the way the things used to be. But as you sought the Lord... As you allowed things to settle down, as you acted in obedience to his word and you remember his word that said, you know what, we have become one flesh and what God has put together, let no man separate. As you let him do his work, what happened? God did a beautiful thing of not only restoring that love, but making it better. You know what I'm talking about, right? And look, there are other situations because you may be sitting there thinking, you know, pastor, what if there's a situation where a husband is, is physically abusing his wife? Well, the first thing I say, church, is she should not endure that for a moment. And she should get out of there and keep herself safe. And if there's children, keep the children safe. Because God doesn't ordain anyone to be a, a punching bag in a marriage. And then for as, as for how that works out, in the marriage and divorce and the biblical permissions, get some wise pastoral guidance on that matter. Discuss what's going on. Discuss what can be done. Go and see someone that you can trust from the pastoral staff. And church, let's admit it. This is a hard teaching from Jesus, right? Because truthfully, there are many reasons that people give or have given to justify divorce that do not fulfill the biblical allowances for divorce. Do you know, even the disciples, after hearing Jesus teaching about this, they said to him in Matthew chapter 19, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. And we may not agree with it, their conclusion here, but we should appreciate the seriousness with which they took it. And you know, church, when you hear a message like this, it, it kind of gets your, 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 your mind spinning, doesn't it? Because there are a, a couple of scenarios here. The wheel starts spinning your head because you start thinking about perhaps the marriage you were in previously and whether or not it was a biblical divorce and, and now you're married again. Or you're thinking about how you're conducting your current marriage or, or what you're dealing with right now. And I just want to say to you, just to, to settle those thoughts, if that's you this morning. The key here is not to now go divorce your second wife and go make right with your first one. That's actually happened before. When guys have heard messages like this, they've actually done that. Or in the case of where you are married and things are not where they should be, that you feel condemned. And you know what you say? I'm just going to give up anyway. No. That's not what God is telling you to do. He's saying, where you are at right now, do it right. 
Where you are at right now, do it right. And if there is sin in the past, then take it to the cross, repent, and get it cleansed. But where you are right now in your marital situation, surrender that to the Lord and see Him do a great and glorious work in the midst of it. That's what the Apostle Paul spoke about in in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul wrote about these, these marital issues and matters, and he gave a very important principle in verse 17. He said, But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And in the context of of 1 Corinthians 7, what he means is, are you married right now? Well, then serve in your marriage unto the Lord. Are you single right now? Then serve in your singleness unto the Lord until perhaps you get married one day. Are you a widow? Serve as such unto the Lord. Right. Walk now in a manner worthy of the Lord and His desire for marriage. Does that make sense? And church, I know this has been a bit of a, a hard word today. So, so let me conclude with just a few things to take away. Number one, marriage matters to God. And God wants marriages to stay together. God wants marriages to start in the right way, right? He wants to bless marriages. That's his desire. Number two, sexual immorality, excuse me, a sexual relationship has significant meaning, and that's why God wants to keep it in marriage to protect it and allow its meaning to be strengthened. Number three, broken or lost love in a marriage can be found again, and it can thrive again. And then number four, as we've just touched on, whatever your past position is, if you've taken that to the cross, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus because of the cross. Right? But walk now in a manner worthy of the Lord and honor Him with this covenant that He places such great significance on. Amen? Just like I said, when it comes to the Word of God, we've got to take the easiest stuff with the hardest stuff. And today has been a bit of a harder message, but you know what? It is relevant to all of us. It is relevant to those of us that are married, that may have been married before. And even for the young ones here today that are considering or close to being married or even far from their process, it's important. God wants us to start in the right way. But I want you to know as well today, as I said, whatever your past situation is, If something needs to be made right with God, make that right with God. But don't walk with with baggage or condemnation with you. Just walk now in a manner worthy of the Lord. Amen. Can we thank the Lord for His Word this morning, church?